as we continue to consider Paul's words. Even though we've been here for several weeks now, it's, uh, it's always frustrating to know that uh, we'll never do justice to them. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. Hear now the reading of God's word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. If there ever was a text of scripture that had absolutely everything to do with you and me, it is this one. And in more ways than I can count, and in deeper ways than I can fathom, I will work my way into explaining why as we move along. Our main endeavor for the month of December has been to consider and finish a simple sentence, which is, Christmas is... And we started off by saying that Christmas is, first of all, history's climax. It took place when? In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. Next, after that, we saw that Christmas is also God's visitation. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. As Zechariah meditated upon the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus, he concluded that God himself was finally visiting them. And I ended the sermon last week with the following statement. God visited his people by sending his son in the most unexpected way possible. That the son of God was sent forth, born of a woman, born under the law, is truly the heart of it all. But as central as this was for the entire unfolding of redemptive history, many Jews did not have all the proper mental categories to make sense of this. One New Testament historian helpfully sums it up when he says that, quote, no second temple Jews known to us we're expecting the one God to appear in human form, let alone to suffer physical death, end quote. Now, all you have to do to see the veracity of that statement is to consider the first disciples of Jesus. When Peter told the Lord Jesus to avoid death at all costs, Peter was showing a very different understanding of the role of the Messiah. Remember that it was only after the risen Jesus appeared to them that their minds were fully opened. The disciples of Jesus did not have a very clear or uniform picture as to who the Messiah would be and what he would do. But eventually, the disciples did develop the proper picture. Thank, thanks God, thank God, right? With the benefit of hindsight, as they looked back, things became much, much clearer for the disciples. And what became clear to the disciples was that the Messiah was someone truly, truly amazing. 
Peter and the disciples, in hindsight, came to understand that the Messiah, the man with whom they had shared intimate moments for three years, was unlike anyone they had ever met or seen or heard ever before. And when the scales fell from their eyes and they could see the Messiah for, he, for who he truly was, they became like Saul of Tarsus after his experience on the road to Damascus. They became fiercely loyal to the Messiah for they realized that he was someone worth not only living for, but what else? Someone worth dying for. They had come to realize that with the appearing of the Messiah, everything had changed forever. Nothing remained the same. Why? What was so special about the Messiah? Well, our passage says he was born of a woman born under the law. Interesting. Now, of the many manifestations of sin in our lives, let me point out one of them, one of the worst ones. And it is that we tend to focus on the things that divide us. We do that a lot. Am I the only one? Wealth, education, family, cultural background, language, height, weight, traditions, preferences, house, size, jobs, talent, looks, etc., etc. All these things do one thing. They speak about our differences. And more often than not, we make much of them. But Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and the entire event we know as Christmas does away with all of that. Does away with all of it. Because Christmas, if you're following the notes, speaks directly to our commonality. Our commonality. When we come to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, one of the things that becomes immediately clear is that it dissolves all our differences. It melts them down to nothing. In this passage, the Apostle Paul boils the discussion down to that which we have in common. Well then, what is it that we have in common? It's actually pretty big. You're going to like this. This commonality can be simply defined as follows. Here it is. We are humans living under God's rule. Everything else about you is just a footnote. We are humans living under God's rule. Everything else about you is just a footnote. Why? Because this is what defines us. A common humanity under the same divine rule. That's it. But this commonality is not only that which defines us, it is also the essence of our problem, is it not? Therefore, Christmas not only speaks directly to our commonality, but Christmas also addresses our central problem. What is that problem? Separation due to sin. Separation due to sin. Separation between us and God and separation amongst ourselves. Heaven and earth separated, God and sinners unreconciled. 
Isaiah 59, verse 2, though it was speaking directly to the context of the Israelites, provides a summary that is applicable to all humanity, every single one of us in this room. It says that our, our iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is the problem which in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 is described as follows. The Lord God sent Adam out from the garden. He drove out the man. And so here we find ourselves in the middle of a question. What does our common humanity and our existence under God's rule have to do with Christmas? Or more specifically, what does Jesus have to do with any of this? Well, Christmas, let's, let's try to begin to answer that question. Christmas is obviously enough the expression of God's love, for it is the sending of His Son. Would anybody disagree with that? I hope not. But we must be more specific. To say that Christmas is God sending His love in the person of His Son would be a true statement, but a statement that doesn't go far enough. When we think of Christmas, we're not just speaking about love, but about love expressed through one word, sympathy. Sympathy. And that's our third description of this season. Christmas is love's sympathy. Now, I know that just like the word visitation from last Sunday, the word sympathy may not be seen as important enough for us to place it right at the heart of our meditations regarding Christmas. But I, I believe it is. As the writer of Hebrews says, both your confession of faith and your confidence in worship are both tied to the seemingly unimportant word, sympathy. Sympathy. Christmas is sympathy unpacked. Now, in a human sense, what do you do when you sympathize? Well, when you sympathize with someone, you are seeking to love that person by putting yourself in their what? You know the expression, right? In their shoes. And the greater the sympathy, the greater the level of involvement with the person. Therefore, sympathy is love's embrace. To be sympathetic is to be willing to be involved in someone's dire situation in order to do two things. Suffer with them and also lift them up. But our ability to sympathize, even for the most compassionate person, has important limitations. We can sympathize by crying with those who cry. Suffering with them, accompanying them in their sorrows. But we cannot literally suffer for them in their stead, because we are ultimately stuck with wearing our own what? Our own shoes. You can't really wear someone else's shoes in the true sense of the word. So we can sympathize, but only to an extent. Christmas, however, is, is different. For Christmas answers the ultimate question. Can God sympathize with us? Can God sympathize with us? And if so, to what extent? Is God like us 
also stuck in his own shoes, able simply to commiserate with us, but nothing beyond that? Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 has more to do with you and me than almost any other passage in Scripture because it explains how Christmas is the love of God sympathizing with you and me to the utmost degree. It is, in the most literal sense, God putting himself in our shoes. In other words, the Son of God came to sympathize with us not by feeling sorry for us from afar or even from up close, but by actually entering our misery in order to lift us out of it. He came to wear our shoes in order to walk in them every step of the way. Love knows of no greater sympathy than Christmas. But the question is, how did love do this? How is Christmas love's sympathy? In two specific ways. Remember that our commonality has essentially two elements, right? We are humans living under God's rule. The sympathy of love expressed in Christmas addresses both. So here we go. Number one, first, Christmas is love sympathizing with our human nature. The Bible says God sent forth his son born of a woman. This little sentence immediately grabs our attention. Last time I checked, being born of a woman is not something that makes the headlines. When was the last time you were truly shocked to hear that yet another baby was born? Of a woman. And you were like, huh? what? I don't know about you, but no one has ever asked me if I was born of a woman as if they suspected that I wasn't. When you go to a baby shower, you never ask, was the baby born of a woman? Generally speaking, if you exist, we can make the safe assumption that you were at some point conceived and spent several months in your mother's womb and that you were born, in fact, of a woman. So the question begging to be asked is clear. Why would Paul see the need to highlight such a basic human experience when it comes to Jesus? I believe there are three primary reasons that are always in the back of Paul's mind. Number one, the first one, is to explain to us that in the person of Jesus, in that baby, the immortal has directly engaged the mortal. The infinite has entered the finite. We know this based on our observations from last Sunday. We learned that the Son of God is pre-temporal, eternal, distinct from the Father, but also equal in essence with the Father. So when Paul says that he, that Son of God, whose nature is eternal and divine, was born of a woman, he's saying that his birth is the union between things that used to be separated. His birth is the union of things that used to be separated, that in his birth of a woman, somehow heavenly and earthly realities had come together. In his birth, the eternal embraced our temporality and our physicality in its 
fullness. This is how love wore our shoes by embracing our very nature, our very humanity. And as we know, birth is the means by which God has secured the perpetuity of humanity. And the Son of God entered our humanity or sympathized with us by submitting himself to the entire process of gestation in a womb, in this case, the womb of Mary. That's the first reason to highlight the fact that Jesus was born of a woman. Here's the second reason. The second reason Paul speaks of the Son of God being born of a woman is to establish the human lineage of Jesus. As Matthew says in his opening verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This little baby is the rightful heir of what was promised to both Abraham and David, namely a kingdom comprised of all the nations of the earth. In Jesus, both the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants find their fulfillment. As the song says, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Here's the third reason. Third and final reason that I want to highlight. Paul highlighted the fact that the Son of God was born of a woman to indicate that in Jesus something new had entered humanity. Something new had entered humanity. Think about this with me for a moment. When Cain was born, also of a woman, namely Eve, he came with a stain. The birth of Cain, listen to this, the birth of Cain showed evidence that now the world had become a new place in which a new principle was at work, hence the murder of Abel. The birth of Cain revealed that the world had changed. It wasn't the same place. It wasn't the good world that God had created originally. And the pattern continued for centuries, leading eventually to the flood. With Noah, a new beginning came, a type of humanity remade. But things continued to deteriorate. That is, until Abraham showed up with the calling of Abraham, was, God was also beginning something new. But even with all these new beginnings with Noah and Abraham, the principle that led to the killing of Abel remained, namely sin. So what is the new thing that had entered humanity with the birth of Jesus? Why highlight it? Here's why. Here's why. The birth of Jesus interrupted the historic flow of human procreation by interjecting a new human into the mix. A human who for the first time since the fall truly reflected what? The image of God. Someone like that had not walked the earth since the fall in the Garden of Eden. In his birth, Jesus broke the centuries-long pattern of sin's propagation. In his birth, Jesus initiated a new humanity. Now, the Gospels explain how it was the Spirit of God who overshadowed Mary's womb. 
And what had been the common pattern for every single human birth up until that point was finally interrupted. Jesus inherited no sin from Joseph. Do you know what this reveals almost in passing? It reveals that sin is not of the essence of what it means to be human. Sin is not of the essence of what it means to be human. Sin is an accidental property, not an essential one. In that sense, we could say that the birth of Jesus of a woman is the birth of the first true human being as humans were made to be from the beginning of creation. Sin, think about this, sin is a dehumanizing principle at work in us. Sanctification is God's rehumanizing principle at work in us. How do I know that? Well, what is sanctification? Sanctification has for its ultimate purpose to make us more like the true human being, Jesus Christ, who had no what? No sin. But Jesus did not only sympathize with our human nature by being born of a woman. As if that were not wonderful enough, he took it even further. The newness of his humanity had to be put on full display. And it was put on full display. Christmas is not just love sympathizing with our human nature, but it is also love sympathizing with our common plight, with our common plight. For the Son of God was not only born of a woman, he was also born under the law. Have you ever thought of the fact that Jesus could have chosen to be born above the law? But he didn't. He placed himself under it. Why? For the simple reason that his incarnation was for the purpose of sympathizing with us, not with angels, but with us, and we are under the law. Why did the Son of God do this? Well, it shows his willingness to share in our subjection to that which held us captive. That is his willingness to share in our subjection to that which held us captive. Now, why was the law given? In the same book of Galatians, if you look back in chapter 3, verse 19, Paul asks that question, why the law? And he answers that question by saying that the law was added because of what? Transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Then go down to verse 21. Paul asks, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And he answers what? Certainly not. Then what's the point of the law? Verse 22 answers that Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. That's an important point which will serve as well for next week. Scripture or the law imprisoned everything under sin. In a literal sense, both Jews and Gentiles were in a prison. Romans chapter 7, in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul spoke of the law as being that which makes sin more visible, if you would. I wouldn't know what it is to covet, said Paul, if the law didn't say you shall not covet. The law, being good and holy and righteous, magnifies the sinfulness of sin within us. Therefore, the one who came from above had to place himself below the same law. We were all in need, listen to this, don't miss it, we were all in need of a new human 
to come and break the prison walls from within. But in order to do so, that human needed himself to be placed under the demands of the law and from within break its power over us. How? By meeting all its obligations from beginning to end. This the Son of God did. How? Well, the first step is to be born of a woman. Sharing in our subjection to the law. Now, we will consider the implications of this more fully next Sunday. So what do we conclude? We conclude, therefore, that in the enfleshment, the incarnation of the Son of God was for the sake of showing His love for us through ultimate sympathy. A sympathy that literally wore our shoes to the utmost degree, both in our human nature and our common plight. And all of this leads us finally to the third point, which I will keep very brief. Christmas is love sympathizing with our earned wages. What do you and I deserve from God? That's why he was born, to share in our earned wages, to get paid for what we did. As I said before, the Son of God wore our shoes all the way to the end, death itself. And the results are astonishing We will look at them next week. For now, let me conclude by pointing out an interesting irony. An interesting irony in all of this. How much time do we have? Oh, we have plenty of time. Didn't realize that. Okay. Just get comfortable then. (laughs) It's nervous laughter. (laughs) Is he serious? Interesting irony. As you are well aware, due to our traditions during the Christmas season, we tend to do a lot of gift unwrapping. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. It is, it is not uncommon for the living room or whatever other room to be filled with wrapping paper after the presents have been opened. Why do we do that? Well, because we know that the wrap is just the thing decorating the real gift. The good stuff is underneath. Therefore, we quickly get rid of it. And I call this an irony because Christmas, in its very essence, is about the rap. It's about the rap. Do you follow what I'm saying? The irony is this. While we quickly discard the rap around our Christmas presents, the essence of God's Christmas gift to us is in the rap itself. God's Son, wrapped in our humanity. It is in the wrap that we find our redemption. But that's just for illustration purposes. There is more to the irony here. The unwrapping of Christmas presents is just a small analogy to illustrate a greater issue. One of the most serious threats to the Christian hope, is a philosophy known as dualism. Dualism. This philosophy drives a wedge between the soul and the body, in which the body is a type of prison from which the soul must be set free. In dualism, the body is bad, the soul is the only good thing about being a human. Therefore, according to dualism, death is good. 
is to be welcomed. Death is when the immortal soul gets its release from the prison house of the physical body. In some of the writings of the ancient Greeks, the same idea was found. One writer even said that after death, the physical body should be thrown away as something worse than dung. One historian captured the essence of much of the ancient thought when he summed it up like this. For the Greek, quote, a human being is a little soul carrying around a corpse. We ourselves must be very careful with dualistic tendencies in our own thinking. This, most of this came from Plato. Some might be tempted to believe that salvation is about escaping the physical body and releasing the soul so that it can be free in heaven. But this is more reflective of philosophical dualism than biblical truth. How do I know that? Well, Christmas is God's loud denial of dualism. The beauty of Christmas is that it not only proves dualism wrong, it actually affirms the opposite. God's love for us is shown in his sympathy, not only with our souls, but also with our bodies. God's Son loves us completely, all of it. The Son of God did not discard the human body. He took a human body for himself. That's the gift of Christmas. The Son of God, wrapped in human flesh like you and like me, and this gift, unlike what dualism wants to do, is never to be unwrapped. The Son of God has forever bound himself to humanity. Forever. Who came out of the tomb? A ghost? So next time you open your Christmas presents... As you eagerly remove the wrap to get to the good stuff hidden underneath, remember the irony that when it comes to God's gift to us in His Son incarnate, you do not want to unwrap Him. You do not want to think of Him as a ghost floating around, but as a man who walked the streets of Jerusalem and died in order to rise again as a human being. You and I need the Son of God to be wrapped, clothed, robed in our humanity. Let us never divest Him of it. For the Son of God can only save us as a human born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Because as a human, as a human, He can now redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. And this will be the heart of our meditations next week. As we bring our Christmas season to a close, I hope you won't miss it. In the meantime, let me leave you with a short challenge. We have spent our morning considering the sympathetic love of Jesus. He put himself in our shoes in order to walk in them all the way through death and into eternity. He has forever bound himself to humanity. The challenge is this. Are you growing in sympathy? Are you growing in sympathy. During this Christmas season, by all means, by all means, rejoice with family and friends. 
Enjoy your traditions to the glory of God. But above all, ask yourself, am I growing in love expressed through sympathy? Am I seeking to be like the Lord Jesus? Well, what is love? Here it is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Take this season as an opportunity to grow in love as defined by Scripture, thus imitating the one who sympathized with you. But there are others listening to my voice. There are others listening to my voice for whom traditions have taken on a completely different personality, for these traditions are now a painful reminder of how life has changed. Some of you are facing the possibility of sorrow being incremented every time you hear a Christmas song or see a Christmas tree or open a Christmas gift. Now, Due to significant changes in your life, this season means pain, this season means sorrow. And what you need is sympathy. Well, I have news for you. In Christ Jesus, sympathy is what you have been given. In Him, you have it all. You have it all. For as Hebrews 14, 15, 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to what? sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows your weaknesses and your sorrows. How? He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. Trust him. Love him. He does love you. So here's your hope. Here's your hope. A new human A new human being was born of a woman like you and like me thousands of years ago. Which means that if you are a believer in him, your own humanity is being renewed in his likeness. And all things, all things, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, planned and unplanned are working together for your good and all because of him. You have God's Sympathy. So find your strength in him. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this simple, basic reminder of your sympathetic love. That you loved us not simply by telling us, but by being born of a woman, born under the law. And clearly, love knows of no greater expression than this sympathetic Son of God who became like one of us in every respect except sin. So I pray for those who during this season are rejoicing. But I also pray for those who during this season are mourning. May all of us together look to the one who identified with us and sympathized with us and remember that in him, We have your sympathy, and so help us to find strength in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.